why might someone convince themselves to be the best in the world for what they do? And yes, I did say the best in the world. Let's take a look. This is Prosperity and Something Greater. My guest today is Jay Henderson. Now, you'll hear the story of how Jay and I met, and as we point out, there is a very valuable business lesson in that story. And Jay and I started out in a strictly professional relationship, but as often happens with like-minded and like-hearted people, we have become friends. Jay is a performance expert, leadership expert, and you can find out a lot more about Jay and how to work with him at jhenderson.org. His book, The Ultimate Small Business Guide to Hiring Superstars, is something anyone who has ever tried to hire someone needs on their desk and at their fingertips. At realtalenthiring.com, you can learn more about Jay's diagnostic test for hiring that is now required for anyone I advise who wants to make better, much better hiring decisions. And when I think of the word professional, I think of Jay Henderson. He is always a gentleman and always a beacon of integrity. Jay likes to say, always take the high road. And he inspired me quite a while ago to just strive to do that. And it isn't often easy and can take often every ounce of maturity that I've got. But it is always the best path. It's actually a very selfish thing to do, too, because it always makes things easier and better when I manage to pull it off. I consider it an honor to be able to share my friend and his wisdom about prosperity with you, Jay Henderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast today. Today with me is a good friend of mine and someone whose safety I pray for every day because what he does for our members is so incredibly valuable in helping them make high-quality decisions in their hiring. Jay Henderson, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Well, it's thank you, and it's always, always great to talk to you. I sincerely appreciate that, and I sincerely mean it. Glad to be here. Hey, so I'm going to ask you a question, and I didn't prepare you for this question, so we'll see how you do. And it's not a test, but do you remember when we met? Absolutely. Yeah. Would you share? Yeah. So for business people, this can be actually instructive, too. I had a neighbor. He and I... Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. It's very instructive. So that's why I asked. Yeah, yeah. So so we, I had a neighbor who I walked with every morning. We would get up and exercise. I mean, we would talk business and marketing. He owns a business. And there was the 2008 crash, you know, at just at the end of 08 had just happened. And so I was, you know, have, you know, the big word today is pivot, <laughs> you know, with what we're going through now. I've heard so many people say, if I heard that, if I hear that word pivot again, <laughs> but anyway, you know, and I was basically trying to figure out some 
things. He said to me, like, so, well, Jay, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I decided that I'm going to go work with personal injury attorneys and doctors and what have you and, and, and brick and mortar business owners that aren't big corporations. So anyway, he said, well, great, because next month I'm heading up to Virginia and I'm going to a conference. And why don't you just come with me and be my guest? I've got a trade show booth there and I've got a hotel room. You can stay with me and blah, blah, blah. So we went up together. And we arrived late and walked into the hotel. And it had to be 11 o'clock at night. And you and Tom Foster were setting up. And we walked straight over to you. Timothy you know, brought me straight over to you guys and, and said, this is Tom Foster and this is Rem Jackson. And, and guys, this is my friend Jay, my neighbor. And here's what Jay does for me. And you said, can you do that? for podiatrists. I said, yes. And you said, okay, well, we'll talk. I mean, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I even remember the look in your eyes when you were looking at me as Tom, as Timothy was describing what I do for people. And it was a very inquisitive look. Not only was it inquisitive, but it was also kind of like, well, we'll see. <laughs> Because I'm going to make sure that that's true. There was some of that look too, which I welcomed. And anyway, and, and, and that was it. That was the first part of it. That's when we actually met. That's exactly right. And then I remember the, the part that really clicks into me was when you followed up. So at the meeting, you're like, hey, you came over and you you just followed up. You did what the appropriate business response is. You didn't think, oh, I was a nice guy. I should probably get in touch with him sometime. You followed up. I had your card. And I said, look, here's what we'll do. I mean, I'm totally absorbed with all of this, but connect with me you know, next week or so. And We'll discuss what you do. And then you did. You followed up. And the thing about it that, was, that I've always, always thought about you is you're just such a professional. You are so appropriate. And you just really know you have enormously high communication skills and you just handled everything so well. And I said, look, here's the thing. I'm interested. This is definitely needed, but I'm going to need you to prove to me that you say you have this instrument, you have this ability to really take a look at how people are going to behave. Not now in the interview, not the first week, but but in three months later when the real person emerges. And I need you to um, work with some of my folks and just to put the time in with, you know, not we're not charging anybody. We're just figuring this out. And you said, Rem, whatever I need to do. And then you just did every single thing. And then we started to be astounded by what what you are able to do. But I remember this so well. So my good friend, Mary Ashmore, who was president of her own company down in Texas, it was an educational uh, technology company. And I was advising her at the time because I'd had a history in educational technology. And it, I just love Mary. She's just so great. And we had to fill this one position. And it was a really niched, super complicated, just to have the skill set for this is there aren't many people that could do what we needed. And she found someone. So you, you know, the, the review and you said, okay, well, this is going to be a problem. Let me tell you why. And, you know, you've always said, you know, only 30% of your decision should ever be based on the information you give people. There's lots of other things you do, but you said, I think in six months, you're going to probably end up firing this person for these following reasons. Cause you also knew Mary's profile too. And so we said, okay, we're going to do it. And so we hired that person. And almost to the day, six months later, we had to let her go for exactly what you said. And that was the day I said, 
I'm never not going to listen to Jay again as long as I live. <laughs> you, know, you always say, you know, you can manage against this, you can do this, but you knew knowing the personalities involved that that was going to be complicated. And that's why I, I joke about how I pray for your safety, because I don't know anyone else that does what you do. And anybody wants to find Jay, the link to his website is in the information for this, the podcast. But that's when we met. And ever since then, it's just been a joy. And your history, which I really kind of want to get to in a minute, but you deeply think about your life and prosperity and what it is. So Jay, let's just go there. I mean, how do you define prosperity for you? Yeah, it's such a great question because obviously, I mean, you know, you got to put some thought into this, don't you? It's critical to have a life philosophy. Everybody sort of does, but if you don't really sort of define yours the way you really want it to be, then you're kind of, I don't know, waffling in the wind maybe too often. You know, it's sort of like everybody has a business system. It's just either a bad one <laughs> or it's usually just a bad one. <laughs> and, and so if you don't sort of choose your philosophy of life or at some level, you're going to be in trouble. So then it's funny how these things change over time too. I was, as I thought about this concept of being prosperous and prosperity, I even went and looked up the specifics on, you know, just to get my head really clear so that I could talk about this wisely. It changes over time, not daily. Right. And man, right now with the way things are, I sure prosperity could sure mean like a safe country a safe community, you know, that, that plays such a big role, doesn't it? But, but over time, when I remember being 25 and full of energy and looking at the future and not knowing anything, <laughs> you know, I thought prosperity was just go get rich. But to me today, it's a combination of things really, I think of sort of having my life in order, overcoming myself, that's one of my big sort of personal tenets. I sort of want to overcome Jay, meaning, you know, my own problems and be the best that I can possibly be because, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You know, if I've got to be with myself all the time, I sort of want to like that. And I think also of a definition, you know, I guess it's not really that, but Covey one time, Stephen R. Covey one time said something success is the ability to bring success to everything you do, no matter where you go, which I found that to be a powerfully interesting sort of thought, right? And that kind of caveat stayed with me for a while. And then I think of, it also made me think of, I believe priorities come before goals. And a lot of times people are very goal oriented and too often their goals do not actually align with their priorities. And, you know, have you ever found yourself in a situation in life where three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back, and you sort of kind of sort of get places, but then you sort of don't as well. And I think that comes from having a misalignment of values and your goals probably aren't aligned enough with your true priorities because we achieve our priorities. We don't always achieve our goals because our goals aren't always aligned you know what I mean? But we do achieve our priorities. It's kind of interesting that way. So 
I started thinking in terms of being prosperous that way as well, because to me, family is everything. For instance, I'd rather my wife be happy and my children be safe, that they can grow and become happy people or whatever, than to make a lot of money. I mean, if I went out and became a billionaire, it would I, I would be unhappy if my children weren't happy. Right? You know, so you know, so prosperity to me is all these things. And then finally, I sort of thought about my four R's. I have what I call my four R's. And they are to be real, which means to never lie to yourself, and to be righteous, which to me means know your values, know your priorities, and live in alignment with that. That's what I mean by righteous, living in alignment with your values and your priorities, right? To be robust, frankly, I call it ripped because I like that language better. I'm <laughs> thinking of robust as a physical mental and emotional power, strength in all those areas. I want to be healthy, physically strong. I want to be mentally tough. And I want to be emotionally strong. And then the fourth R is rich, which I really call richness. Because to me, if I'm real righteous and robust, I'll have riches. I'll have a richness of life. So to me, prosperity is sort of overcoming J and being my best loving my family and having my family be healthy and okay. And then I sort of strive to bring a level of success to everything that I do. That's part to me of overcoming Jay. And I can do that through those four R's, if that makes sense. Makes total sense to me. The only thing I'll say is I'm just slightly disappointed that one of those R's wasn't REM. It just, I was expecting. <laughs> well, I could only give you four. You know, you told me, Jay, I'll give you four R's and that's it. If there was a fifth, it <laughs> yeah, right. certainly would have been no. <laughs> That's so clear. So clear to me. So Jay, what was the defining moment or event that really brought you to your career path? People really would be interested to know that story. That's kind of easy for me. It's amazing. There's three, but I'll, the, the, the one key, right? So basically when I was about 25, I was going through a really tough life transition and I ended up from college back home. And so let me go now backwards to when I was about 23. I was living in Las Vegas, where you are now, right? I was on a mission for our, my church, and my father sent me the audio tape series to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. And the book had not been published yet. Uh, so um, I listened to those tapes just over, I mean, almost memorized. I learned very well auditorially. And I listened to them very a lot. And then later, in a, a couple of years later, I was with my father. We were we were walking through the, the small mall called Jacksonville Landing in Jacksonville, Florida. And my father and I together. And my dad noticed a bookstore. There was a bookstore, and he noticed the cover of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book. Now, right? He said, "Hey, check that out." So he walked over and he bought two copies, handed me one. And man, I read that thing. I just really bought into that material and I loved the book and I read till it was tattered and torn. Then that takes us up to where I was in this life transition. So one day we were in Raleigh, North Carolina. My dad said, hey, do you want to run down to Augusta, Georgia to watch the Masters together? 
the golf tournament. I said, heck yeah. So we jumped in the car and we drove just to the practice round one day. And that was a great event. But on the way home, he said to me, you know, he started asking me questions. I said to him, dad, you know, I, I really, I really don't know what I want to do. You know, I'm so stuck. I just am really in big transition. He's a sharp guy. And he started asking me questions. Turned out to be a very intuitive coaching session for me, so to speak, you know. And one of the things that I learned from that is, you know, as I answered these questions is that I really did want to teach people material that was so powerful for me when I was 19 years old, audio tapes that I had listened to that I got from my dad, like, like, you know, Dennis Waitley and uh, Wayne Dyer and Jim Rohn and all these personal development minded people that, you know, I mean, I'm 19 years old and I hadn't thought much beyond where are my friends and where are we hanging out tonight and what are we going to (laughs) do, unfortunately, at that stage. So I hope I'm not talking too long here, but basically, you know, I had read that book. So here I was now, we were driving together and he asked me all these questions And then that sort of that night or the next night after him asking me all these questions, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm in this transition. I'm living with my parents. I'm like 25 years old. So I I knelt down beside my bed and I prayed about what to do. And I had a picture come into my mind. And the picture was, I'll just say Brigham Young University, which I really had never been there before. But I knew in my mind somehow weirdly. Weirdly, in my mind, I had this that that's what it was. And uh, so uh, I got off of my knees and I walked over to my dad and I said, Dad, I know what I'm going to do. And he said, What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to Provo and I'm going to go to school at BYU and I'm going to work for Stephen R. Covey. And he said, That is awesome. When are you going? And I said, Tomorrow morning. So I I packed up and I jumped in the car and I drove across the country. I didn't have an apartment. I knew one person that lived there. And I called her on the way there and I said, look, I'm going to be needing an apartment, a place to stay, blah, blah, blah. She said, just come see me. Here's my address. When you get here, we'll hook you up. And it was, you know, and three months later, I was working for Stephen R. Covey. Those are the sort of the defining moments that led me to my career path. I just think that's so cool. And I mean, so Tim Ferriss, who wrote, you know, the four hour work week and so many other great things, he has a fabulous blog. One of the points in the four hour work week is, you know, if you're going to do something, think about playing at the top because no one else thinks they can do that. The the real competition is in the middle because that's where everybody's at. Nobody thinks they can go to the top. Nobody thinks I'm going to go work with no and collaborate with Stephen R. Covey. And so you went and three months later, you're working with him and helping him really as he put together the leadership center there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wasn't really like his right hand man. Right. They were already rolling pretty good. The seven habits was obviously out and I was the 189th hire. And then we ended up with a, with 850. So I still got to really have an amazing experience with the growth of the organization and really cut my teeth as a very young man on leadership and management and what have you. And, and it's, what you're saying is awesome that you're quoting Ferris about going to the top. You know, it, you just reminded me on that drive with my dad from Augusta, Georgia, back home to Raleigh. As we talked about what I really want to do is to help people understand their potential and how that their thinking is at the essence of accessing that potential. 
one of the things my dad said to me is, why don't you become a sports psychologist? You know, after an hour of beating around what interested me. And I said, what is that? (laughs) And he educated me on that a little bit. I have a younger brother who had become one of the top junior golfers in America. He traveled in the American Junior Golf Association, played against Tiger Woods and tour events and what have you. And he was the number one junior in America when he was 15 and 16. And so my dad had run into that whole world and and that whole sports psych world. And and I didn't even know, but I got pretty pumped about that to the point where a few years later, you know, when I was in fact working for Covey, another guy and I, a guy named Dick Roth, who won a silver medal in the 1964 Olympics as a swimmer, he and I were at Covey and we were building the seven habits of highly effective athletes together. But one day on a flight, from Atlanta, Georgia to Provo, and I was working for Covey, and I'm, I'm in Atlanta. I'm sitting in the airport, and I, at that time in my life, I liked to be the last person on the plane. I traveled very light. Everybody was getting in that line and cramming themselves onto the plane and picking their seat, and I just, I already knew, hey, I've got my seat. It's, you know, 32B or whatever, you know, and so I just thought, I'll just be last. I don't care. And I'm standing there and I look in the line getting on my plane. And there at the end of the line is the number one sports psychologist in the world. And his name was Bob Rotella. He's from Virginia. And my brother was working with Rotella. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I think that's Bob Rotella. So I stand up and I walk over and I'm behind him. And he sort of, you know, he's standing there and he sort of turns around to look around and, and he sort of, his face sort of toward me now. And I said, excuse me. And you know, yes, I said, are you, you're, you wouldn't have me be Bob Rotella. And I mean, I was pretty convinced because I had videotape of him and what have you. And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, hey, I'm Jay Henderson. Michael's my brother and my dad, Dan, and what have you, you know, and oh, wow. So we get on the plane and we're flying. It's a four hour flight from Atlanta to Salt Lake. And we're on this flight and we end up sitting together. It was like amazing. You know, here I am moving towards sports psychology. It's one of my favorite. I studied it. I read every book I could on it. Here I am with like the guy. And before we got all separated back to our usual seats to get off the plane, he said to me, whatever you do, just convince yourself that you can be the best in the world at what you do. And I I think of that story, Rem, because of what you're bringing up, Tim Ferriss. You know, go for the top. And in all honesty, since we're talking prosperity and you're interviewing me, struggled with that. That's not an easy thing to do is to just, okay, I'll convince myself to be the best. You're really the best in the world, really? Seven billion people, you know? (laughs) And you know, we all know our weaknesses better than anyone. But that was a powerful thing because here's the number one guy on the brain and performance. And that was his line to me before we departed, you know, convince yourself. You got to put a little thought into that because if you really sit down and analyze that, there's so much in what he just said. When you, you know, when you understand the way the mind works and human performance and, and talent and access to talent, convince yourself. Interesting. That's the key. Brilliant. I will never forget this. Convince yourself. You know, and, and just talking to when I work with doctors, you know, it's complicated for them sometimes to recommend, like for instance, orthotic devices with podiatrists or really, really helpful to people. They straighten them out. It's like glasses for someone who needs their eyes corrected. They do these for the, you know, the the human body. And it's a wonderful thing. Insurance companies maybe don't pay for it. It's cash or whatever. They really struggle with making that recommendation. And, And my point to them always is you have to believe 
first and foremost, you are absolutely doing the right thing for someone. And if you don't, then don't do it. That's not okay. But convince yourself so that the doubt will, you know, it'll always flare its little self up, but it will be easy to quash because you've convinced yourself you can be at the top of your game. You can be the number one at what you want to do. And as you go for that, you know, you will land so much higher than if you didn't. Oh, I love that. Well, Jay, let's move on a little bit. I I just want to make one last comment and then I want to ask you a question. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is really the first book I read back in the 80s about this kind of stuff. And it's had more impact. I mean, I'm a Napoleon Hill devotee. I just I just think Napoleon Hill and what he wrote and Think and Grow Rich and all that's happened since is incredible. And there's so many other things. But personally, for me, it was Stephen Covey. And I've often just said, you know, that book is the blueprint for the mature human being that I think we all strive to be. So I couldn't recommend that more. Jay, let's move on. We all have challenges. We all have obstacles that we face. And I'm just curious, can you share what you deal with? What can trip you up on your daily journey? Yeah, harder question. (laughs) The first one was a little easier, but okay. So I I don't want to so I have a thing about talking about myself. It's not easy for me, but I, I kind of, if I look back on my life, I've always been a very fun loving in the moment person. And I, I like people and I like to have fun. In fact, I don't like stuffy, stodgy, overly structured, you know, it just, that is just me. And so the, but the fun loving part in the moment has been good for me in my life. Because in the being in the moment, you know, when you're in the moment, it's sort of like everything's okay. You know, all your guilt comes, you know, and and, and maybe shame and and negative self-esteem type stuff. That all comes from the past, really, if you think about it. All the fear, you know, the worry, uh, the concern, that comes from thinking about the future. So being in the moment, right, you know, you don't have the pad, those things weighing on you as much. And so I've always sort of been pretty happy. The problem is things can really fall apart on you, right? <laughs> if, if you're not paying attention to the future, at least keeping things on the rails. And if you don't have like a system, put it, I'm lugging that into the structure piece that, that sort of can does isn't something I move toward, things can fall apart. I, I found that great leadership is being able to think about the past and the present and the future all at the same time. People that can do that or that get themselves to do that you know, you can see the patterns of things by being aware of the past. You know, you can see what is happening now, which is critical for an ex- from an execution standpoint to get things done. You've got to be in the now. That's an is. Not what ought to be, but an is. That's the moment. Then there's the future, which is what ought to be. But if you, you know, so if you can kind of tie the people who have, are good in leadership can do those three things at the same. So for me, I'm not great about that. I don't think enough about. So as a result, I I don't prepare well enough typically for things. I try to more. I'm 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 older now. I'm more a little more mature. I le- I've learned a lot, you know. I'm a little more patient. And so I as a result, I'm better at those things than I used to be. But that that trips me up a lot because I don't prepare enough and think enough about the future. And there's probably a lot of other things that trip me up I'm not aware of. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this site. You at the beginning of the call, you brought up the how I read people, the review I do, and what have you of people, and 
And I've done all that on myself, of course. And this, there's a man who trained me in this science that I utilize. And I've been working, I met him after I went, when I left Covey, I went right down the road to another company where we taught leaders and managers of fortune 500 companies, how to coach other people to higher levels of performance. And uh, that was like right in my bailiwick, you know, it was even, to me, it was even better than the seven habits in, in, a, in a way, right? You know, anyway, when I got there, they had me take the science, you know, use the science. And then three months later, the worldwide guru came out to our company and trained all of us in, in that science. And he and I went to lunch. This guy is like, again, a worldwide scientist as it pertains to objective measurement of human performance. And so he said to me, Jay, you know, you could build a Fortune 500 company. And my head's just, you know, filling up the room, you know. And he said, the problem is you would destroy it as fast as you built it. <laughs> and so I'm being quite transparent with you, just you and I here on this call. But, <laughs> but that's what I mean by not preparing enough, not being systematized enough. And, you know, I'm glad he said that to me because really it helped me pay more attention there. Anyway, that's. And you have shared that with me in the past. That's very familiar to me as, you know, as the friends that we've been in and the things we've talked about. So, okay. Well, then what's the top strategy that you use to try to keep you from slipping back into those old habits? Daily morning routine, daily morning ritual. You know, uh, the, the best, highest performers in the world have performance routines. Everyone has things that block their performance, you know, and you've got to know what that is. Socrates stuff, you know, know thyself kind of stuff, right? You've got to really know if you're going to be great, you got to know what you don't do well so that you can delegate it out. Don't try to become great at what you're not good at. You got to, you know, get rid of that, get it off your plate, block it. And so uh, the analogy I would use is golf pros who are the best in the world at swinging a golf club, you know, they have what they call swing faults. Every because it because the body, it's you talked about biomechanics for the feet, right? Well, there's biomechanics, every, every body is different, and the biomechanics of a golf swing is different for each human being, right? And so, every person has their own unique faults as it pertains. So, what the pro golfers do is they have what they call key swing thoughts. You know, they know when they see a golf ball do a certain thing that it shouldn't do from their golf swing. It instantly triggers them to know, okay, I didn't have the right thinking to do something differently in my swing. Am I making sense, Rem? I don't want to be convoluted. Oh, no, this is great. So the idea is that every morning I do several things. I read, I pray, I work out, and I, I have a loose plan for my day because I'm not a real... I'm a detailed guy for results and tasks, but I'm not a big planner. Like I talked about earlier, looking in the future, but I do some planning generally. And I read my profile. I read my, the key elements of how I think and make decisions and the strategies that I have written on there to overcome Jay. So so that's what I do. I, I, I find that, you know, and you take the coronavirus dynamic and this being a business owner and a leader, having teams and like employees and, and all of a sudden we can't go to the office. 
and our routine for all of us, right, has just been messed up. If yours has not been, then good for you. But I mean, right? So it, just think about what it has been like to all of a sudden be in a quarantine and be forced out of your normal routine and what that has been like for you. And for many people, it's been very, very bad. I hope not, but it's been really rough. And that just shows you the power of habit. And so, you know, having a powerful, a good habit, a powerful, enriching, focusing strategy, like a daily morning routine is really, I have found it to be extraordinarily beneficial. I learned that from the sports psych world, right? Because I mean, Look, on this call, probably a lot of surgeon podiatrists, surgery-driven podiatrists. I mean, surgeons have pre-surgery routines, strategies, routines that that are designed to get themselves in the physical and mental state they want to be in to perform at their highest during surgery. You know, CEOs have pre-meeting routines. Pro basketball players have pre-shot routines at the foul line. You can watch them. They do this. They have a, you know, Jack Nicholas, the golfer, he knew that it was literally 1.9 seconds from the time that he, because he would get behind the golf ball, look where he wanted to hit it, visualize it. Then he would set up to the shot, they called it. He'd go set up to the shot. And it was literally 1.9 seconds from the time he set up to hit the ball every single time. So you know what I mean? It's the best in the world. So I've tried to adopt that strategy of that's what I've got to do to help me pay attention the right way. I think that's great. And I will say that the the more I pay attention to all of this, that routine, that ritual, and everybody has their own kind of take and version of it is absolutely universally. It's, it's key. It's just utterly key. Jay, so the people that are listening to this podcast, they're interested in trying to achieve their own version of prosperity. You know, beyond what you've already shared, which is wonderful, you know, any additional advice that you could share? I think that there's nothing more powerful than having a vision. So a quick story. I don't know how much time we have, but. You have all the time you need, Jay. Told a few stories about my dad before all those other stories I told. He had a sales position and he did very well and he had just bought a new vehicle and we were driving down the road and I was young and I was, you know, I thought I was happy, but I was, I was not happy. We were driving along and I was thinking to myself, I was really in my head and, and I, rare for me, <laughs> I was thinking to myself some things. And he said to me, you know, what are you thinking about? And I said a bit belligerently, what makes you think I'm thinking about anything? Now just remember I was 18 years old. I was a teenager, right? So, you know, he said, well, you're my son. And I know you and tell you're thinking about something. And I said, well, you know, dad, ultimately you love and trust your dad, right? So I ultimately I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? What, what, you know, just in this moment, it just, when I get in this car, this nice car that he's bought, I'm like, man, this is a really nice car. And then all of a sudden I started thinking, how am I going to do that? What, what am I going to, you know, one of the first few moments I thought about the future, as we talked about earlier. And uh, he said, well, Jay, I can tell you what you're going to be like. 10 years from now, would you like to know? And I said, yeah, you know, and he said, you are going to be exactly like you've always pictured yourself to be like. And, it, you know, sort of for me in that moment, I, it was like a literal, a literal epiphany like moment for me. I mean, I, I just had this vision come into my mind and I will tell you that the reason I share the story is because 
rather than writing down, I'm going to become this and then using discipline, discipline, discipline to sort of force myself into it. I didn't even have to try, but because of the power of the vision that I saw and the, and the dynamic of that moment and my trust and love for my father, my life was completely different six months later. And I didn't even have to try, but it's because the picture I saw didn't match what I, what I was in the moment. And so it just literally, so there's a gap between what is where we are and the vision or where we want to be. And the, 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 if that gap is big, the larger that gap is, the more dissonance, the more lack of comfort, the more negative energy, if you will. Or it can be positive energy, too, because it's like a rubber band. If you pull a rubber band vertical up and down, the further you stretch it apart, the more it wants to come back together. So take the top of the rubber band, make that your vision, let's say, and the bottom of the rubber band is the current reality. So the further that goes apart, the more it wants to snap back. The question is, will the vision come back down to the current reality? Or will the current reality become the vision? And the answer to the which one will win is it is the most dominant, vivid picture you have. Is your dominant, vivid picture your current reality? Or is it your vision? You know, Is it where you want to go? Because what happens is it changes our belief of ourselves. It changes what we, like we started out on the call, what we believe is possible. Like what Dr. Rotella said on the airplane, convince yourself, you know, you know what I mean? That you can be the best. So that's to me, one of the most powerful things is to try to take the time. You know, they say, get, don't work. You probably quoted this, you know, because you're such a pro at these podiatry practices, it's like, you got to get out of working in your business and start working on your business, right? That's what you help them do, I, I would think, right? So to me, that's, so that's part of it, you know, is part of it is getting out and working on. So that's one thing. And then there's the power of vision. The other thing is this concept of the four R's, you know, never lie to yourself, get real clear about what your values are, what's truly important to you, which includes your vision. Okay. Be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy. Take care of your body. Exercise. Keep your attitude in good shape. Yeah, those are the things that I think of that help you. Because then you build a person who naturally brings prosperity into their own life. Because we're not going to be prosperous doing things that don't bring prosperity. We become prosperous because we're being prosperous. I love that. I love all of it. You know, the, the vision part reminds me of Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill kind of plays a game with you in Think and Grow Rich and the, the subsequent books that have been written. And he'll say, you know, the, 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 the most important thing, the great secret. I've already shared it with you. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? And he'll, he'll move along with that. And, you know, and it comes to whatever the mind can believe, conceive and believe it can achieve. And I know that's a bumper sticker. And I know that's something people have heard over and over again, but it's what you just said. It's what Tim Ferriss said. It's what your father said. Whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve, but it has to believe it. And you have to do it with an obsessive, passionate approach, a burning desire. Jay, if you were a toy, any toy at all, what would it be and why? <laughs> oh, this is... That is so hard. That is just really something. 
<laughs> question. I think, golly, I, I think that I've, I'd have to say it would probably be a really, like, to me, what would be a fun, of course, it's a toy, but a sports car, a motorcycle, a bullet bike, <laughs> something like that. And why? Why? I, gosh, probably it's really funny how life is, you know, people, how people are. There's this thing called an autobiographical statement, and I think that's what I just did. I like to go fast, and I like to have fun. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's why I said that. I like uh, sports cars. I don't have one, but uh, maybe too conservative, too too much common sense maybe, but why? I Gosh, I don't know. Probably maybe because that's what I'd like to have, and that's what the toy I'd like is, to, you know. Those kinds of things. It didn't surprise me about you. I mean, the one thing I remember, and it was a few years ago, and maybe five or more, you were mountain biking, which, you know, for people our age is insane. And apparently you were going really fast. You had a great big wreck and you really, really injured yourself. Yeah. Sort of permanently. And I think you're recovered, but, you know, there's definitely, you know, so some of that thrill is in there for you. And that's great. I mean, that's just great. Not me. I don't do that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, my knee is bounced back and we're totally good. In fact, I was water, I was wake surfing a couple of nights ago, right? I never knew what that was. My neighbors got this. In fact, Tim, who we, who introduced me to you, Timothy Seward. We're still neighbors. We went out and went wake surfing. So wake surfing, for those of you that don't know, I never knew this, right? So I'll just say real quickly, he's got this boat that creates a large wake. They do it on purpose. And you get on this wakeboard and you got the rope and you're being pulled behind the boat. Well, you get in the wake and then you throw the rope on the boat. And then you're surfing without a rope on the wake behind the boat, right? I never knew that was a thing. Anyway, we had a blast doing that. But uh, I almost re-injured my knee again, but it didn't. I did not. So I was grateful. But <laughs> I told you, I've yeah, got you do it. And I say, but what about your hands? So yeah, I'm a careful guy about that. Diane has spent many times with me on a, on a motorized thing that's supposed to be fun, like a boat that can go, you know, bullet, boom, boom, boom. And I, I drive them around like, but, 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 I just don't want to have any problems. That's, that's me. I've always yeah, been that way. That's awesome. Hey, one last question. And you cannot say the seven habits of highly effective people. Okay. But can you recommend just one great book we should all be reading? I'll tell you, I've, I've got a book I love, and it's called How Champions Think. And it's by Dr. Bob Rotella, who I've talked about today. Yeah, It's a super book. Really, really great book. I recommend it highly. Wonderful. Well, Jay Henderson, my friend, my incredible resource for all of my top practices members and all the help that you've given us. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your stories. This has been an incredibly great addition to my little trip along trying to find not just prosperity, but something greater. So thank you, Jay. Just stay safe and healthy and have a wonderful day. Enjoy that beautiful family you've got. Oh, you're so kind. You're great at this, by the way. I love your podcast. I really enjoy it. You're very, very good at this. So don't stop. Keep doing this. I've enjoyed being here. Thank you for your kind words and for having me on, Ram. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you really soon. Great. Prosperity, flourishing and thriving, overcoming ourselves, playing at the top of our profession, 
reaping the rewards of a dedication to being our best. You know, once again, we are moving beyond prosperity and glimpsing at something even greater. And I sincerely hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. Let me know what you think. You can send me an email at rem at toppractices.com. Prosperity is the entire focus of top practices. Most doctors are struggling with the business of medicine, and those that aren't truly understand that through association with other successful practitioners, they can take their business to the next level or something even greater like prosperity. Prosperity in business is a function of mindset, marketing, and management in my opinion, in that order. And that is our mission at Top Practices. You can find out more about Top Practices, our marketing and management programs for doctors, our workshops and annual summit at toppractices.com. Until next time, this is Rem Jackson. Smile when you wake up. And then have a really great day. Nothing is more important.